Hey, what's up, guys? It's David Prey, the host of the Military Millionaire Podcast, and I am once again here with Alex Felice co-hosting. But today's episode is with James Lowry, who is Rethink the Rat Race, and he has bought 10, he's got 10 rental properties and literally lives out of the country. Has for a while, he just travels the world. He films this from a chateau in France, and he has found a way to take some rentals and be completely retired at a very young age. This is a super exciting episode, and he's got a little different strategy than a lot of my guests, but I love it, and he's an awesome guy. So definitely tune in. As always, show notes are found at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310s allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave with the Military Millionaire Podcast, and I've got my friend Alex Fleece, co-host. What up? And we have Mr. James Lowry, who, man, this is going to be fun, uh, and you guys will see why in a minute. But before, I'm going to let Alex introduce himself real briefly as the co-host, and then we're going to roll right into this bad boy. Uh, yeah, my name is Alex Fleece. I'm a real investor, and I am the creator of the cultural phenomenon known as brokersofchoice.com. Uh, I'm also the entertainment side of Dave's show. He does the production. I'm here for, I'm here to entertain. Yeah. James, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you all too. All right, James, uh, tell the crowd a little bit about your crazy journey. For the record, you should probably start with where you're recording this from and then, because I think that's a great starting point. But. Yeah, perfect. So um, I'm actually recording this from a chateau in the south of France. Um, my wife and I bought our first rental property a little less than three years ago. Um, we found out about the FIRE, financial independence movement, um, a little over three years ago, about three and a half years ago now. And uh, we kind of dove headfirst into it, bought a bunch of um, what I would call B or C class rentals in a bunch of B neighborhoods and um, bought a bunch of really low priced uh, rental properties, did some value add, and now that funds our lifestyle and we just travel around the world. Yeah, that's cool. Makes it sound easy. I know. Right? Yeah. I don't even know what to <laughs> dig out of that. Like, okay, that's it. Great. Well, what were you doing before? So um, I was, uh, I actually managed a region of physical therapy clinics in North Alabama. So kind of a, uh, not, I mean, like it sounds like a rural area, but my area was actually pretty um, populated. It's uh, Huntsville, which is the like capital of engineers, which is what my wife was. She was a mechanical engineer for Boeing, and uh, and so those were our day jobs. And then we did um, a heavy side hustle of real estate. Is like for those three years, it was like everything was real estate. 
so you bought uh, single family rentals. How many do you own now? Uh, how, many so you actually own have, you, how many did you own when you quit your job? That's all I want to know. Um, so we have 10 units. So some of those are duplexes. Some of those are like houses with detached apartments. Um, we have a condo. We have a townhouse. And uh, one of those we Airbnb. So we do have a short-term rental. Um, but we only have 10 units, actually. So not not the million that most people think you no, may need to return. I think that's way more impressive. The fact, and we'll dig into that a little bit, but people get wrapped around unit numbers, right? And And I think that's totally arbitrary. But you are literally living anywhere you want right now and traveling and, and living what a lot of people would consider like the dream. I mean, I, I see your posts all the time and I'm like, man, that looks awesome. Um, off 10 units. I mean, that's, that's not to say this as a brag, but that's less than I own right now. And I for damn sure couldn't travel the world on what I'm pulling in off it. Yeah. So, well, that's really important. Let's talk. I, I really want to talk about that because uh, I do agree that there's a ego mania about units. I don't know how James, I know you're in real estate, but I don't know. I know. Well, uh, in the real estate community right now, it's like a it's like a total uh, dick measuring contest about who mm. get the most units. Uh, the, you know, and you know, I've been doing this long enough to know that you get people will tell you, oh, that that thing cash flow is five hundred dollars a month. It's like, yeah, but not on taxes, not really. So ten units, say three hundred bucks a month. That's three grand. That's three grand a month on ten units. I'm just spitballing. I don't know what your numbers are. Obviously, now three grand a month. Uh, 36,000 a year, certainly enough to live off if you, and you said you participate in the fire movement. So if you live a low cost of overhead lifestyle, um, is that sound about right for where you're at? And is that what you guys did? Or is my, is it, did you get disproportionately high income from what you bought? Um, no, that's actually pretty much almost spot on. Some of them ebb and flow a little bit, but, um, but we are pretty much living on around 35 a year. Um, okay. And so, and and that's actually the funny thing is, is like we're still living below what the rents are taking in. Obviously, um, we're not spending every single bit of extra excess cash flow that comes in. So, um, so we just track our expenses and things like that. But, um, but yeah, most of the properties um, bought really low, and all of them almost are over the two percent rule. Like I've got a couple of duplexes that really just knocked it out of the park, and those made it really easy for the others to kind of just kind of ride on their coattails. Yeah, and so if you can survive the 25 years or whatever it is to get most of these things paid off, it's like, yeah, I can live on 35 grand a year for a few years. And you're not going to stop. You're going to grow and continue to get better. Um, and so that number hopefully becomes higher. But then by the time you retire, that 35, that 35 grand becomes 80 real quick once all the debt services are gone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the uh, every year we just increase the rent prices a little bit, the areas that we bought happen to be gentrifying pretty well and rent prices are going up. So I actually expect that to be you know, 40 or 45 in the next, you know, not, not long yet. Absolutely not long at all. All right. So I'm going to go back just a little bit real quick. Cause I realize we've touched on it twice now, uh, but I don't know that I've really had anyone huge in the fire world on this show yet. So you mind uh, just kind of breaking that down real quick for some of my listeners. Yes. Yeah, so for the typical fire, I don't know, um, follower, I would say is they invest mostly in index funds and the whole goal is to have 25 times your annual expenses invested um, because you can live off of 4% is what the math says um, based on studies. You can live off 4% of that and it'll grow in perpetuity and that should also cover inflation and things like that. Um, so my wife and I were really into that and then we realized like that real estate would probably be the quicker way to do it. Our goal was to quit our jobs as quickly as possible. And so instead of focusing so much on index funds, we still did the 401ks. We still did the IRAs. We took advantage of all the, the tax advantage things that we could. But, um, but outside of that, we spent everything else on real estate. And so um, we're probably some of the few heavy real estate people in the FIRE community. Yeah, I think the FIRE it. community is so dogmatic. Um, it turns me off a little bit. So I'm glad to see that you – I went down the very similar path where it's like, hey, look, first um, – I don't know how, where you started, but I started to broke the ship. And, and uh, so for me, it was like, hey, look, get this, get, get this ship running right before you go off. And you don't want to do an investment if you can't run your personal finances right. So for me, it would like turn into fire. And then it's like, oh, well, then just live on 30% of your income and save and live like a peasant and just save, 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 save. And then you'll be able to retire early. And that wasn't appealing to me. So it's like, look, I can buy something in between, use debt to, to some degree, not like a maniac, but I can use le leverage to some degree to kind of accelerate and give me that freedom now. And you know, I'll still make the sacrifice kind of like you did. It's like, look, I can live on $35,000 a year. Almost everybody 
can live on $36,000 a year. They just can't do it with Louis Vuittons and a BMW. Um, and they're just not willing to make the sacrifice. So I love that you kind of did both. You said, I'll make the sacrifice, but also I'll use a little bit, uh, I'll use a different medium to forward my advantage that's outside of the traditional buyer dogma. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not to, not to outbreak you there, Alex, but um, my card got declined. This is not a joke. This is 100%. My card got declined on a date with my wife for a, I, I say date, you know, kind of in air quotes here because it was going to be a night in. Anyways, my card got declined at a red box for a dollar seven, a dollar seven. And at the time we weren't like, we weren't, we were just dating. And I told her that my card wasn't working because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Luckily I had some gas in my car to get home, but a dollar seven, I didn't have a dollar seven in my name. Man. And, and, and so uh, just, I want to take a quick second. Uh, I know when you do the promos for this episode, Dave, take that little clip right there and put it on Instagram as the sound bite. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Podblade, when you edit this, that's the audiogram right there, the red that's box. That's the audiogram. That's right. <laughs> that's, that oh, that's a fantastic really story. And it, it is crazy because I think you're, you're so right. Dogmatic's a great word. Uh, there's definitely a piece there that I totally just diverge from, but if you do the math on it, right? Like 4% withdrawal on a hundred thousand dollars, four grand a year, hundred thousand dollar property. Theoretically cash flow is just a little bit less than that. If you got debt on it, but you only had to save 20 grand for it. Like exactly. It's definitely accelerable. If you're smart, you know, what else I love about your story, James, and we haven't gotten into it that far yet, but it's also like, you know, what people look at and they, they go through their lives and they say, man, I hate my job, but what else am I going to do? And I say to, you know, it didn't take me very long investing in real estate before. It's like, look, a little bit goes a long way. If you, if you buy a few of these things, even at 300, I think I'm going to net out like 300 bucks, 250 bucks a month on my Schedule E this year for taxes against eight properties, which is similar to yours, right? It's like, eh, it's not life change. It is life changing because it's that's a good chunk to be passive. Um, and so even if you're like, well, I can't quit my job yet. Like if I didn't want to live that light, it still it buys you a lot of freedom of stress because you're like, man, if something, if I do walk in one day and quit my, and tell my boss, you know, to piss off, I'm, I'd be okay for a little while, you know? And so, but it only took you a few years to get from can't afford Redbox to I'm in France, you know, doing podcasts. And so people won't make, they're going to work 30 years miserable instead of making three years. And, and you don't have to make, I don't know what kind of sacrifice you made, but um, my guess is, you know, you still lived a reasonable American life. Or French life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly what you said. The problem is I think that most people, you know, as if they invested and didn't have the right mindset, what they would do is they would see $250, $300 coming in a month from a unit. And that, that would be dollar signs in their head. And that's initially like, I, I had this idea of investing in real estate just because I had kind of grown up poor. And I thought like, that'd be a great way to get rich. And then I thought, okay, that would give me an opportunity to drive really cool cars. And I was like, I was thinking like, like, like a consumer, like I'd still have to go to work every day, just like everybody else, but I'd have a really nice car in the parking lot. And so it just took a mindset shift. And so, you know, two or $300 a month doesn't for per unit doesn't sound like, you know, an incredible amount, but once it accumulates and you realize like you could actually live off this amount of money, if you just limit some of your desires to reasonable amounts, like just think about the fact that like there are millions of people in the United States living on 35 grand a year and and less even and they managed to make it work and you can live a full happy life like that um as long as you don't want the latest and greatest of every single thing that's the thing like spend on what you want don't spend on what you don't want and it, you'd be amazed how far that goes make a little sacrifice bro get a camry goodness you can you know what i mean like <laughs> people would give a 97 camry <laughs> yep <laughs> Yeah, people won't make, they don't like to make any sacrifice. None at all. Gotta have no cell phones let over two years old, you know, big screens. Well, the TV's got cheap, but you know, it's like new phones, new laptop. Um, Jay's smartwatches. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's a, it's a, it's a hole that just gets filled up with things eventually. Yeah, it's, it's everything like that. It's just like weekend trips here, there, like, but the weekend trip itself doesn't cost as much as the spending while you're on the trip to show that you were there. Like, it's, it's silly. It really is. Yeah. Which kind of leads into another crazy question since I've never had anyone who's done this successfully on the show. I've had one guy who, when I interviewed him, he had gone to, to Panama and then while in Panama just was like, screw it, I'm going to sell everything and live here. 
uh, but he'd only been there for a little while. You guys have been doing this for a long time. So how in the world, like, how, I mean, okay, I can, it's not hard for me to say, ah, I make $35,000 a year on my rentals. I can retire to a bungalow in Missouri, but you're living in a chateau in France and you're traveling through the world. Like, how is that working out for you? That's, that's a mindset thing that a lot of people can't wrap their head around. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was tough at the beginning. Um, especially like, you know, pulling the trigger on it. We were like, you know, does this really work? Like we understand the numbers of it, but now we've actually got to do it. And eventually you just have to dive in and do it. Um, but what we did was, you know, we kind of, we kind of left one foot in the water and one foot out because um, we, we transferred one of the places that we were living into an Airbnb. So if this doesn't work out, we just block off the calendar and then we just move back in. It's still got all of our stuff there. We've got a couch, we've got a TV, we've got cooking utensils. We got everything we need for a house, right? That's what you need for an Airbnb. And so even now, um, we're actually going back at my grandfather's not doing that great in the States. And so it's an opportunity that we have now we can just up and leave and go back to the States and we can stay in it because it's actually going to be vacant this week. We weren't planning on it, but, um, but it turns out that like, it's just a little lapse and people that are staying. And so we've got a couple of days that we can stay there and that makes it really easy, um, for us. And so, yeah, the Chateau in France thing, this is, we've been here for, um, for a few days now, but it's, uh, what we're doing is we're just kind of bouncing through uh, Europe and we're just staying in places that we normally would never even consider. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've, we've had a really good time and my wife, every, every time we go somewhere else, we're kind of like, okay, this is getting old packing our stuff up. Um, but for now we're still enjoying it. And once we get there, we're happy to be there. So, you know, there's, there are always little inconveniences in life and you can nitpick and find them anywhere you want. So you can even do it in a chateau in France. <laughs> There's plenty of people that live in France that are miserable. So it's not nowhere's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. How, how many Everybody thinks the places around the corner is going to be the best place. You know, that next place that I get is going to be the best. Nowhere's perfect. Except Absolutely. California. Oh, no. Hell no. <laughs> Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Yeah. Weather's great. Weather-wise. Yeah, the weather's yeah, great. Right. Weather. There you go. There yeah. you go. So where's your favorite place you've been so far? Uh, we really like Barcelona, Spain. We spent, uh, I think we spent 10 days in Barcelona between some other things. Uh, but we like Malta and we really like Cyprus. That's kind of where we're headquartered. But um, I don't know, Croatia, <laughs> it's tough. It's, it, it depends on what aspect of things you want it to be. Um, you know, weather-wise, we thought Barcelona was great. Public transportation, Barcelona was great. Cost of living, Malta, Cyprus, and Croatia are much cheaper. Um, and they're like beautiful landscapes. Everybody's really nice. Food's great. So, David, this guy sounds so pretentious. Have you noticed? I mean, he was just <laughs> whining about having to pack stuff to move from a chateau in France to Barcelona. I think he's being. I think I, I'm just kidding. Actually, I think you're being incredibly humble because yeah, I'd be shoving it in your face, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so true. It's so true. Oh man, no, that's uh, it's just so cool. Like it's just a cool thing to be able to do. So, so you go. <clears throat> okay, fine. I was just gonna ask what's next. Um, Alex has a better question. He can go. Do you, do you, we, I met you at FinCon. Um, do you, do you, is that a, is that a, do you go there as a, like a guest or do you go there because you have some kind of content production that helps you pay for this lifestyle? So we do have a content producing thing. We, uh, we have a website, it's called rethink the rat race and, um, we enjoy blogging on it and we enjoy, you know, talking about our life. You know, it's not really a business in any way, shape, or form. We we barely make enough to cover the expenses on it. So it's not making anything to fund this lifestyle. I think that that might be a common misconception. Is And it's it's kind of like one of those survivor biases. Um, you know, people think that everybody out there that's fire has a blog that makes 10 grand a oh, month yes. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason why... Um, they realize that, I mean, I don't know if they think this, they hear of these people because they have a blog. There are hundreds, thousands of people out there doing this successfully with no blogs that they don't know anything about. I have friends that are fire that don't even want pictures taken of them. You know, they're definitely not blogging about it. And so it's, it's kind of one of those things, but I assure you, this is not funding our lifestyle. We just do it for fun. 
I, we get to write about anything we want and not have to worry about like trying to monetize it. I don't have to only talk about real estate. I talk about fitness. We talk about travel. We talk about anything we want. And that to us is like a passion project. We enjoy it. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Uh, we've been doing that for uh, about two years. So we had actually bought um, our first property and then our first duplex. And then we started the, the blog. And so, so it's, it's not been that long, but it's been fun. I have a similar story and you know, I got into, uh, I got into blogging thanks to my friend Lee Huffman. I don't know if you know him. You probably you might know Lee. He runs um, baldthoughts.com or we travel there. Um, and he brought me, he introduced me to FinCon <clears throat> and I really like the idea of, like you said, blogging, but I had this undue influence on me by guys like Lee and Dave and uh, Dustin Heiner, especially um, who, what I, they do, what I call the FinCon model, which is what you said. It's like, you got to do a blog that makes money. It's a business. And I said, man, I just don't care about that at all. And it seems I, I've had, I've noticed a thing in life. It's like money is fun to make on your terms, but it's rarely the way it works. It's like, usually if you try to do something you like for money, it becomes not fun. It takes all the fun out of it. And so I was like, man, I really kind of want to tell my story like you and do this personal style blog, but like I have all this pressure to do it to make money. And I found that as soon as I was like, you know what, this is never going to make a dime. I was like, oh, now I now I really like it because now it's like no pressure. It's like I'm going to produce what I want. I don't care who writes, who who reads it, and I and so I say all that to say now it actually gets me a quite a bit of a higher return on investment just because people find me, they relate to my story, and then they're like, let's do business together. Um, with that, with zero direct monetization, no ads, no, I don't do emails or anything like that. So I was curious uh, how you. Well, I was just curious to hear your story because I have um, Hotshot over here who does. Um, kind of, he's <laughs> for, for the record, I don't use Google ads. I don't know that I've ever made enough money from affiliate links to even cover what it costs to run the blog, which is minimal. And I just, I mean, for the first two years I did this, I didn't even do affiliates. It was just the same thing. It was like, man, I just want to have fun and see where this goes. I'm just trying to break even at this point. Cause I think if I keep spending my entire life locked away, writing and producing content and it's in the red every month, my, my, my wife might kill me. But I'm still in the red. So you say I wanted to interrupt this show very briefly to talk about beyondpricing.com. And this is the way that I've been doing dynamic pricing. And I just wanted to share it with you because in the last two weeks, I've gotten three bookings that have already made up for any cost that this would have been to me. In fact, it especially does because it just pulls a small piece off of I think it's one percent off of what you make in income. And I've already seen a multiple like 10, 20, 30 dollar uh, per day price. So yeah, sure. I, they might get 1% fee, but uh, they're making me at least 5%, 10% more. So it's a win, win, win. It doesn't cost you anything out of pocket. So definitely check out beyondpricing.com. It is very good about fluctuating. What it does is it adjusts up and down your daily flow, your daily rent, so that if you have a guest on Thanksgiving, you won't make the mistake I did where they're paying the same as they would have been two weeks prior on a Wednesday which sucks. I missed out on probably $200 without having this earlier. So definitely check it out. I'll put a link down below. Dynamic pricing and specifically beyondpricing.com is an absolute must for anybody in the short-term rental game. Don't get caught without it. I was curious if you think blogging, personal blogging and, and telling what my story is, has been incredibly uh, cathartic for me, but also profitable. And it's because I, I tell a genuine and authentic story and I try to help people do what I've done. And so I'm curious if you would give that as blanket recommended recommended advice to everybody to find some medium where they can tell their story. A hundred percent. I think that everybody needs a creative outlet in one way or another, whether or not you're blogging about finances or real estate or something like that, or you're just writing or you're doing a YouTube or something like that. I think that um, everyone needs a creative outlet. And I think that most people don't even realize that they need one. They're just parking their ass on the couch and watching Netflix every night. And there is the, the creative outlet is scrolling to figure out what they want to watch that day. And that determines who they are as a person, which is terrible. But it doesn't even have to be something like you post online. I mean, I think that there's, it takes a very um, large amount of courage to like post your stuff online and just be out there for people to judge 100%. Like people could just hate it. And, and that's what you think as you're like getting ready to do this. Like, what if no one likes it? Um, I mean, you could just literally have a journal that you write every day um, and that you just scroll through and see like what you were thinking last year or two years ago or something like that. I just think that 
getting your thoughts out is is a good thing. The act of writing is extremely, extremely soothing is not the word I normally use, but I can't think of the word I normally use, but it's it's good for you. Cathartic. Yeah, that's also not the word I normally use. I couldn't define that without Google right now. So <laughs> I think Thera- might be a therapeutic bit. is the one that yeah, I usually yeah, roll yeah, with. But look at him. Google to freaking define the word. Providing, psych- providing psychological relief through the open expression of strong emotions. Well, who says my writing is emotional? Wow. No, actually. That's well, what- you're, but you're saying it takes courage, right? It doesn't take courage to go online to say something. Oh, here's tax advice. No, it takes it goes online to say something about who David is yeah. and what David's thinking. That is difficult. And I agree with James 100%. And, I, and it's something you sort of get over. But I think what I found is the first time I started writing, it was like very, it wasn't as personal. Uh, but I can't help but to write personable stuff. Um, but the more that I get better at writing, the more I find myself getting more and more introspective. And so it requires an increasingly level of conf- of courage because I'm you're like, gonna I'm say, more. it's almost like the gym. Like as you get stronger, you lift more weights. So it's always challenging as you become better at producing content. Like I found like I'm a total goofball and like all over the place in real life. But when I first started producing content, it was very rigid, very structured. It was hard for me to get that out of my shell. I'm still not there, but it comes out more and more and more. And then I get to a point where I'm like, mm, a month ago, I would have taken that blooper out. But I'm going to leave it because that shit's funny. And it just like, so you're still getting, yeah. Yeah. You definitely get more comfortable with it every time. Yeah. Uh, James, 36, 30, uh, 10 properties on 36 K a year. How do you get to property number 11 or what, or rather what's your, what's your goal? Um, and how do you get there on that income? How do you get to that? No. Um, so we actually had property number 11 and then decided to sell it before we left the States. So that, that, that might answer that one, but it, there's, it's a very slippery slope and it's one that I deal with every single day is how much is enough, right? I don't want all the units. I want enough that, you know, I, and actually quite the opposite. I want the least amount of units to fund my lifestyle. The more that I have doesn't make it better. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't more units in the same amount of money doesn't mean anything to me. So I have to strategically pick which units I want, which ones are worth the trouble, um, for me to, to add into my portfolio. Um, because I'm actually, (laughs) this is going to sound really crazy. I'm actually self-managing all of these units, except for the Airbnb from France, from Spain, from Malta, from wherever. And so because of that, I don't want the headache of more units just for the sake of more units. Now, with that being said, I'm looking at one that a wholesaler sent me last night. We spent like an hour and a half. My my wife's mom went over because one of my friends who's an investor was not available. So my wife's mom went over and FaceTimed us and we walked the property on FaceTime. And uh, we're looking through all the tax assessments and, you know, if they have any liens on the property and all this stuff. But um, and that one might work. It might not. If it doesn't, then that's perfectly fine. It's in a good area that we're familiar with. And uh, and. But we're not we're not working for property number eleven. Number eleven is going to work for us, and so that's just the way that we kind of uh, tackle all of our investments. Man, that is, I love that quote so much. I mean, the the I'm not working for number eleven. I want it to work for us is great, but the quote, I want the least amount of units to fund my lifestyle. I think that is just a cool mentality because as we mentioned earlier, oh my goodness, the world is full right now of the, I own a thousand units. Okay. But you own like 0.5% of 990 of those thousand units. Right. You didn't say that all of those are mobile home parks, right? Mm-hmm. And you own the, you own the trailers and not the actual park. Like or that they're losing money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. the number of units doesn't mean anything to me. Cash flow. It's all about no, well, cash flow. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's hard. I mean, not and it's, all, but it's about the the money, not the. It's about the result, not the number. That's right. What going for. Yeah, and it also speaks um, of something I really like, and is under under. Uh, maybe it seems under talked about, but I think actually people it's 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 misaligned goals uh, in the community, which is people are motivated by the. Uh, it's not totally bad, but they're motivated by the challenge of success. Like I have to accomplish this difficult goal which is not a bad motive, but I think it should be secondary to what your motive is, which is, you know, let me find my lifestyle first. And then the real estate is going to be the vehicle to get there. I don't care about the vehicle. What people do is they make the vehicle the, the whole game. 
And so in some ways I do like that. Like, Hey, look, the process is the goal kind of thing where it's like, find your, find your little deal, whatever it is, chasing real estate or, you know, going travel in the world, whatever it is, like find that deal and then use, and then find the right vehicle for that, for that endeavor. For me, it's real estate, but like, I don't want to be known on my tombstone as the real estate guy. You know what I mean? And the so, hair. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so, so like, yeah, right. So perfect. It's like, Oh, I just nailed it. I, I'm good. I just, now I just do real estate for fun during the day. But my, my, I really want to express like so many people these days. It's like when we talk about, um, uh, sorry, that's the universe is trying to talk to me. Um, when we, Dave, when we talked about goal setting this early this year. It's like, I don't want to set my goal to be 50 units and then make my behavior to be the variable that has to be altered to get the 50 units, which is arbitrary. I want to say what I really want to do is sit on my ass and eat Fruit Loops and watch cartoons all day. Now, how much do I have to work to get there? Does that make sense? Instead of being like, I have this amount of units, now I'll do, because who knows what I'll do to get the goal, but the goal is arbitrary. Instead, you know, make the lifestyle that you want to live the goal. And then, oh, well, you only need three units to do that. Done. Well, that very mentality got me in trouble two years ago, as we were talking about the other day. That's my point. I, I said I was going to buy three units and I read the 10X rule and or five units. And I said, I read the 10X rule. I said I was going to buy 50 or 30. And then I closed on a 40 unit. And the 40 unit was, I actually bought 50 units that year. 10 of them are still amazing, best units ever. So on that respect, it was great. Um, but the 40, not to say the deal itself was bad, but it was probably more than I should have taken off. And there's some things that went south that weren't necessarily entirely in my control, but whatever. But, you know, we can get into all that some other time. But the deal went south, right? Like, and and not to say that I shouldn't have made that purchase and I shouldn't have made that leap. I, I don't regret it by any means. But if I'd been focused on like a, a the, the long-term goal, like that 10 unit is incredible. And I probably would have been totally content with that and continued working on other things or saving or whatever, instead of chasing this big thing that I didn't, not that it was a bad thing, but I didn't need to be chasing the unit number. I I met my cash flow goal for the year with that one purchase, and I should have been content with it. Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of people are trying to replace one job with another job. That's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want real estate to turn into a job. I enjoy real estate. I really love it, and I want to continue to love it. And so that's why I don't do it full time. Except manage your own property is like a knucklehead. But that's not, yeah, that's that's not, to me, that's not full time at all. That's like a couple hours okay, here. So, and there. what are your what are your pointers that you would give someone for that? Because that's, I, I mean, that's some people are hearing this and going, "No, there's no way." Systems, systems, systems. So that's that's the only pointer that I really have. Uh, you know, I use <laughs> you, buy, cozy. you buy B class properties. Uh, I, I buy some of them might be considered C, but I buy them in B areas and places that are very gentrifying and things like that. What kind of rents? What kind of rent prices? Um, so, for instance, I've got a for I bought a duplex and I bought it for forty nine, right? So really low, right? That's pretty cheap, right? Uh, each unit rents for five fifty, and those are going to go up to six hundred this year. Okay, so, so those are not like they're. See, I, I can understand. I'm I'm double mad at you now. I can understand self managing from a distance on you know a fourteen hundred dollar a month rent a a tier condo or B tier condo where it's like look how these people are they got eight hundred beacons how they're not going to be that much of a pain. But you're talking five six hundred dollar now. I don't know that market, but I mean that's got to be a, you got to be giving up some tenant quality to take that kind of um, that kind of tenant. So uh, what kind of systems in place do you have that I mean unless I'm way off base, which I'm not usually. <laughs> <laughs> so unless I'm, way, unless, I, unless I'm way off base, it just seems like um, I, there's got to be headaches with this tenant base. I have some of that tenant base, but I have mostly better than that tenant base, and I have pains in the ass. So, well, I think that um, it's it's a it's it's kind of a double edged sword, right? It, they're cheap, but they were three fifty when I bought them, right? And now they're now I'm talking about getting six hundred a unit, right? And they were at three fifty a piece. So those types of tenants. I was having trouble with obviously, right? But um, you know, you make the place look nice. Like I just put lipstick on it, painted the exterior of it. We did some LVP. Like everything structurally is the exact same. We spent like probably it's definitely less than a thousand dollars a unit. Did most of the work ourselves while we were there, and um, and I mean just really simple stuff made it look really nice. And it's it's kind of like a hipster's haven is really what it is, right? So you're getting young people that are you know. It, right out of school or even in school, I have a one student that's at, or one person that's actually a student in college that their parents are paying for their place and they just want their own place. And, uh, and so it's stuff like that. Um, and 
to them, they're close to like breweries and things like that. It's a really gentrifying area. And so that helped out a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you would think that you have a lot more trouble out of those types of tenants, but I think that appealing to the right type of people and, um, you know, making enough hoops that people have to jump through gets rid of all of those tenants actually. So for instance, my application process that eliminates 90% of the trouble tenants for me because I list the place and I have cozy and I list it on Zilla, I list it on Facebook marketplace, I list it on anything where I can get anybody, frankly, but then they have to apply for the place before I even show it to them, right? They have to apply and that eliminates half the inquiries right there. And then if they apply, I base it on, you know, they have to have three X, they have to have this, that, 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 right? Which I mean, three X of $600 isn't that much, frankly, but as long as they can afford it and I don't like ebb or flow any with that, like it's pretty rigid and I actually make it sound really terrible when I'm showing it to them. I show them the place, make it sound great. And then I want to sound like hard ass, right? I want, I want it to sound tough. I don't want like, I'm, I'm clear about, yeah, I'm clear about late fees. I'm clear about expectations as a tenant. And, uh, and so that eliminates people through that. And so I actually get great tenants. I've had really good luck with that. Um, have you gotten better I, over time? Uh, for sure. Yeah. So the first, like, I wouldn't say the first couple of vacancies, but um, I would, you know, say, oh, I want X credit score. And I might, you know, change that a little bit for the first tenant that comes along. It's not like I'm changing the rules for different people, uh, but the first tenant that comes along, I'm like, oh, they'll do, you know, I don't want an extra week of vacancy. Or, you know, I had someone that rented it side unseen. I've only had one eviction. Right. They, they read it sight unseen and there was like a lot of red flags, you know, they were, you know, moving a state. They had like uh, gotten a divorce, but they were moving in with someone else and like they didn't really have the income, but they had the like job offer saying that they were going to be there. And then like literally three months later, I had to evict them. Um, and so it was there was a lot of things that I should have noticed on that. And that I took that as a learning lesson for the future ones. Most people take an eviction and say, all right, I'm out. Like I'm selling all the properties that I want to deal with the headache and I evicted on myself. I, I, I love DIY. Like if I can do it myself, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. It's, I enjoy it. It's a challenge. That's it. It's a learning. It's That's such a common mistake for new beginners, myself, myself included, right? You get this new property and you're like, I got to get it rented right away. No matter what to anybody. Cause I don't want the vacancy. And it's like the no matter. This is the rule. If you're listening and you've never bought one or you just bought your first one, this is the rule of real estate. Your first tenant that you choose, the first one is God awful. And you're going to choose them. You're going to choose the first person that shows up. You're like, yes, I need you. And they're going to be terrible. It's like just, but that's how everybody, like, I think it's like a rite of passage. Everybody gets their first tenant, their first front rental. They're terrified of the vacancy. They take something that they shouldn't take because they need it. They need it. And then, you know, and then it costs them. And then you get better. Yeah. And then you get better. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes being bad to get better. You can't start out great. You can read all the books. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can, you know, watch all the YouTube videos. You can not miss a single bigger pockets webinar. Right. And you will still make mistakes. Like just, you got to start, just do the damn thing. That's, that's just have reserves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which just have reserves. I think underlies a really smart portion of what you did with your journey with the fire community is uh, a lot of people, myself included. I mean, I wasn't too bad in the debt world when I started, but a lot of people get into real estate as a way to get out of a bad situation or get out of debt, which, which can work, right? Like real estate can be very lucrative, but it, yeah, you have, it's a lot of risk. So you with the fire community, like the underlying principle there is the idea of getting your finances in order first, getting out of debt, having reserves, having, savings, having all that stuff set up, having a solid foundation where you knew going into this, I would imagine that when you bought your first rental, you knew like, if this goes totally tits up, who cares? Like it sucks, but I'm good. Like that's whatever. Um, and I think that's a pretty valuable way or pretty powerful way to get into real estate, knowing that like the worst case scenario is okay. That sucked. Next. Yeah, that's exactly right. So essentially, we, I mean, just keeping your costs low opens up so many options for you, right? Like, I mean, I'd say I don't, I haven't done the average, but we bought a couple of properties that are in the 80, 90 range, right? And we sold the one that was the highest. It was the only one that we bought over 100 grand. And most of them have been between 40 and 50. And we bought 
condos in great areas. That's one that I've Airbnb now. We bought duplexes. We bought we bought three sets of duplexes for under fifty. Um, and and at the end of the day, because the price points are so low, but we're buying them in the right places. We're buying them, uh, you know, in gentrifying areas. We're doing the things right that we need to. It's the, not the number amount that matters. Uh, but at the end of the day. 50 grand, you know, okay, well that if, if it's the worst case scenario, it set us back six months on our fire plan, you know, or whatever. Like if that's while we were working, right. Like we'd be like, okay, well, you know, that sucked, but if we can sell it, we'll sell it. If we can't, we just hold on to it and just eat the mortgage for, you know, a few months until it gets to a selling time and then we can sell it. And so, um, just being able to, to float your lifestyle and, some is is a good thing you know to to have no uh to have no boundaries on where your spending is and to spend to the maximum amount and then have no option after that is the bad choice and the reality for way too many people a hundred percent and you know so i laughed so you know you're one of very few non-military guests that have been on my show in a long time. In fact, I will probably end up releasing this as a bonus episode because that's my way of getting around the military guest thing. But, um, and I joke about that, but that's kind of the reality. But man, I tell people all the time, like when you join the military, you almost attain financial freedom immediately. Like not necessarily, but like, if you think about it, you join the military, if you have debt, it gets cut to 6%. You, you get a housing allowance or, or a place to stay if you're single you get a food allowance that's more than enough to cover everything no health insurance no life insurance costs i mean there's some costs associated but like no health insurance no dental no life like it's all covered um you can you live close enough that you can walk to work if you wanted you don't even need to own a vehicle especially if you're a single guy you can carpool or whatever like there's no even reason to buy a car like you could literally enter the military and like that if you set up a tsp you're now on your way to long-term wealth the problem is and perfect job security. Yeah. yeah. And then the problem is that we turn around and sabotage ourselves as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> Jordans, iPhones, cars, tattoos, women, whatever. And then we wonder like, oh, crap. And so I think it's it's cool that you've got this like, yeah, we're good. Like we're tr- literally traveling the world off our investments because we're smart about where the money goes. Yeah, I, I, I talk a lot of... I, well, I talk shit about everything. Uh, the fire community, I, you know, I, I give it a hard time because of the dogma. But it's interesting. I started my first endeavor. I didn't go from broke to real estate, right? I don't think that that's a good way to go. I really don't. I do not think that if you just go from I'm broke, what can get me rich or what can get me out of this real estate? I don't think that's the right answer at all. Because, you know, everybody, every individual has their own income statement and balance sheet, just like a business. Every business has an income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flows. Um, every human being has an income statement and a balance sheet. Just because you haven't looked at yours doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so if you would fought, what going to fire first allows you to do, and I say fire, but what I really mean is the personal finance community, what it allows you to do is look at your income statement and understand what it means and where you're making money or, or if you're losing money, and then your balance sheet, your net worth, whether it's increasing or decreasing. And so, you know, start there. If you can't manage your own money, if you go and buy the house, you're going to mess it up because What's the old saying? How you do one thing is how you do everything. And so you're like, man, I got bad credit, no money, and I have no experience, and I want to go buy a house with hard money, you know what I mean, and try to flip it. It's like, dude, if you can't run your house, you can't run that second. You can't run your own house. You can't run this other business over here. There's no way. Uh, And so starting with the fire idea, like you said, um, I really like that, that you did that first. And then you said, well, now that I know how to do this, it's not, you understand the risks better and you understand how to mitigate those risks better. So if you just go, I'm broke, let me jump into real estate and use debt. It's like, dude, you're going to mess, sorry, you're going to mess this up most likely. So uh, I, I like that you did your story and I, I don't want to say they're similar, but you did fire and you realize it's limitations. And then you said, I can parlay that to something else. But I think people should start with fire or personal finance. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would agree. I, I always say like Dave Ramsey is a great way to get you from negative to zero. But at that point, zero. okay, now you're at zero, keep the zero, and then everything after that, I differ in my strategies from then on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Dave Ramsey is great for the people that have gotten themselves into debt. The mindset, the you know, the payoff, the little balances first, get, get a bunch of little wins. But, you know, mathematically, it's not, not where it needs to be. But he's great for debt payoff. Anything after that, it's not good. Um, and I think that it's 
I absolutely agree. It's a very prudent advice to have minimal amounts of debt going into real estate. The only debt we have is real estate. Um, the only debt and, that I have is real estate. I have a yeah, lot of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way we planned it. You know, we 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 purposely got rid of cars. We got rid of things. We sold off stuff. We sold a condo um, that we had in a really ritzy area, and then used that to kind of the the money we didn't even use we didn't even make any money off of it actually we broke dead even like we spent we spent almost a year there um and then when we closed on it we literally walked it out without a check and we didn't have to pay money that was our whole goal was to not have to pay more money and so we didn't get anything out of it but we used the money that was going towards that to put towards other properties um just by saving that up and then that 20 percent comes really quick it just starts rolling in really easy and so that's that made it really easy um, I think that, you know, saving was a hundred percent. The first thing that got us on this path was being able to manage our own money coming in. Cause if you can't manage that, like you said, you can't, if you can't manage that, you can't manage anything else. Um, if it goes in as quick as it comes out, um, then you're not, you're not creating any space in your life for choices. And if you can't manage the little money that you're making now, how are you going to manage big money? You're going right. to waste it faster. If you yeah. mind the pennies, the dollars mind themselves. That's what I always say. And it- and it's funny because it's easier said than done. Like even you know, the long sure. like I, you know, I realized this last month, I, I it was probably the second week of January. I was like going through stuff and I was like, oh, holy crap. Like I spent a lot more eating out this last week than I thought I did. Like, hmm. And it's funny. I know Alex and I, I don't know if I've, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was you actually, Alex, but I joke about like how I have the, the no discipline banking where I set up different bank accounts so that I don't touch money. Uh, when it goes into the wrong places, but I, I literally took that like a full step further this week. I realized I'd been what I'd been doing is because my office is whatever and I'm bored. I, I get like, ah, I'm gonna walk down to the store and just grab a drink. And then when I'm at the store getting a drink, it's like, oh, I'll grab this bag of chips and oh, I'll grab that. And oh, hey, I'll, you know. And so this week, I literally took every card except my business card, which I'm at least disciplined enough not to touch, out of my wallet, threw it in my freaking you know, sock drawer. It was like, great, now I have $5. That's my snack money for the week. And I ate healthier. I didn't spend any money, you know, whatever. And I still walk down there. I just don't buy anything. And I walk back, um, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's easy to let it run away. So you have to pay attention to it. But it's also, it's funny because as the real estate excites me, as I'm sure it does a lot of you guys, like it's more exciting to see the money go into an account where it's going to do something than it is to buy that crap that you're thinking about. Yeah, I agree. More, to, for, more fun to make money than it is to spend money. Most people just yeah. haven't made enough to make it to feel the feedback mechanism. I agree with you, David. Yeah. I have a lot of people that ask me. Let the record show. <laughs> it happened once. Uh, I have a lot of people that ask me about that. Like, you know, what what, what is your budget like? What is this? What is that? And it, it amazes a lot of people that my wife and I are retired and we've never had a budget. Like, that's just, it's the way that we encounter things. It's the way that our mindset is now. Um, and there was a time where, you know, we would spend, I mean, every dollar that came in, we would spend it on something. Like at one point when I had, a, we had a buffer of like a thousand dollars in the account. We thought that was great. Right. And that's not going to get you anywhere. Everybody, this is the thing. Everybody wants to be a millionaire. Nobody wants to save 10 grand. You got to start there. Right. Like, I mean, you've got to have some money to get to be a millionaire, but what we do now, I mean, and even during our like fire path, we saved literally every dollar that came in and then we would only spend on like essential items. Like we would spend on, you know, travel occasionally and things like that. But people ask me about budgets and I'm like, I, I didn't have a grocery budget. I spent the least amount possible and to still be healthy. And we did powerlifting and we did bodybuilding and stuff like that. Like, I mean, we, we were healthy, but like on food, on cars, on whatever, like, we, we, we saved every dollar that came in and only spent on things that were necessary. There was no shopping category. There was no, there's no categories. Every dollar that comes in is mine. And then I disperse it where it needs to go. Uh, let me ask you a question about powerlifting. Cause I've been doing it for a long time. Is it easier to dead? Is it easier to squat two times your body weight or buy profitable rental real estate? Which one's harder? Squat two times your body weight or buy profitable rental real estate? Squat easy. Squat's easier? I think squat's easier, yeah, for sure. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think it's I think it's a very similar mindset. Actually, I think that you know the the workout mindset um, yes, helps 100%. me in the fire thing. 
saying, yeah, because, you know, it's a self-improvement thing. It's a, you know, small wins every day. It's a consistent basis. It's, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot of the, yeah, it's mental. It's the back end work. You know, most of the work's done in the kitchen, not in the gym. Right. Um, yes. So it's stuff like that. You know, the gym's where everything shows off and that's how it is with fire. You know, your spending is where everything shows off. Right. But, you know, like living the lifestyle where you're traveling the world, it looks really cool. But actually, it's all done in the back end. It's done in the kitchen. It's done in the spreadsheets. It's done in the bank accounts. Real estate's so much that way. It's like when you when I close on a house and you're like, damn, you got that deal out. So I'm like, dude, the, the, the deal, doing all the back end. By the time I close on the house, it's like all the hard part's over. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's strategy and planning, and the pl- uh, plotting and finding it's the deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, I'm, but, but it's the same thing. It's like, dude, I don't go. You go to the gym. It's like, dude, I, I have, I've had this squat in my head for eight hours today. Going through my mo- going through the motions. I know what I'm gonna squat. I know what I gotta do. I know how I gotta prepare. Like I just, it's in my head. Like I've been squatting all day. By the time I hit that, by the time I hit that, and, and you know, powerlifting's very much like that because it's like, well, you're gonna do one set. You know, you yeah, do your, yeah, yeah. your heavy, your heaviest set or whatever it is. It's like, okay, I'm gonna get this for three. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what the correlation is, and there's no way to prove this, but I wonder if the reason that my answer would be the same is powerlifting is probably easier, isn't because powerlifting is easier, but because you can go to a gym and know that by the time I get there, I will be surrounded by a whole bunch of people with the exact same goal who are going to help me, who are going to whatever. And people do it. It's like a social thing, right? Like people help each other do it. It's cool. People do it, look good, feel good, help each other out, spot you, do this, do that, whatever. Whereas like real estate, a lot of times and networking is super, 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 super important. But a lot of times real estate is a lone wolf thing. Like you're, you're not like walking into your office in the morning, like oh, me and my boys are going to check out this MLS listing. Like, I wonder if that has anything to do with it subconsciously. Like we hold ourselves back because well, of the support system. Maybe uh, that's interesting because when you go to the gym, it's a solo endeavor. I mean, maybe you have a gym buddy there, but you know, people are there, but most, most people aren't squatting deadlifting for starters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and to be fair, uh, I used to ask this on my show. And after I think 35 or 40 shows, you're the only person who said buying rent, buying squatting two X body weight is easier than buying profit rentals. You're the only person. Because most, most people I know, first off, almost everybody I know can't squat 2X body weight anyway. So I don't know. They're like, but they got rentals. So I know which one's easier for them. Um, so I just find it, I find it interesting you said that. So I don't know that that's a very common answer. I would have said the opposite. I'd say buying rental real estate's easy. Squatting 2X. Really? The 2X body weight? That's, well, that's 405 for me. Not that many people I know can squat 405. Yeah, but for you, that's that's a. Well, if you weigh 150, right. that's still a 300 pound squat. I mean, I just don't know that many. I was to say, I, I I think it depends on the circles you run in. I guess right? I've been yeah. hanging out with meatheads for years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I I, def- I definitely could back before knee surgery, but I I definitely could not for the next months. Like it's gonna be a long time before I get anywhere near that again. It's very similar to the real estate. It's uh, it's frequency and duration, right? Like you just have to you have to stick at it, and you know at the end there's I think maybe my thing with powerlifting that I really enjoy versus like other things like I did physique shows and stuff like that. It there's no subjective, right? It is yes. very objective. Like I got X amount of weight and I weigh X amount. Like it is cut and dry. I have to lift, I have to deadlift 500 pounds. If I can't get that, it doesn't matter. There is no win, right? And I either get it or I don't. And it's, it's very cut and dry. And that's what I really like about powerlifting versus other things. It's so objective. It's not like, oh, well, if this judge had done this right, or I did, you know, like, I think I looked drier or something like that. No, no, it's, you lifted it, you didn't lift it. It's so, it's so black and white that I really enjoy that. I love you right now. <laughs> oh man do you want to ask him your questions David? i was gonna say it's probably about time to ro- start rolling this up because you know little alex is almost midnight he's gonna have to go to sleep or because i, I don't have a job so i can do whatever i want thank or you because much. i got like two and a half hours of sleep and i gotta go to work in the morning um i think it's 5 a.m here so i understand <laughs> <laughs> i love it love it all right uh so my first question is always if a 18, 19, 20 year old walked up to you asking for financial advice, you know, you only had a few minutes, what would you tell them? Mm, I would tell them the house hack. I think probably a lot of people probably say that, but, um, but I think one, uh, you know, saving, right. Don't focus on what other people think, you know, focus on your savings, focus on having some money. Um, but house hacking to me, I wish I had house hacked when I was in college. Um, I wish I had taken advantage of it earlier, things like that. Um, roommates, you know, whatever, 
don't don't focus on the outward appearance. Get roommates and house hack. I think that that would be the easiest. Or, or I would tell them to get Scott Trench's book. That's probably what I would tell them to do. That's actually what I have done. I've given it to, to people that I work with and things like that. And so um, give them something to, to learn from. But uh, whether or not they take that, you know, that's, I think you have to be in the right mindset to, to absorb information sometimes and to, to take action on it. Um, so, so, you know, you just plant the seeds and hope that they take them. I like Scott's approach. I think it's a good book. Uh Resource. If you know what, what are some good uh, resources, book, course, website, whatever that you would recommend to anyone looking to get started in, in fire or, or real estate? Well, obviously, you should go to my website. It's the best one. But outside That's of my the website, next question, no, I'm just <laughs> I didn't drop it, so we can still do that too. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, also planting seeds, hoping that people, you know, really building up the anticipation. Uh, I, I really like uh, Coach Carson. Um, he was the one that kind of like, once I got on the fire path, people were always talking about him. And so I went and looked at his stuff and, uh, and I think he's kind of getting, he's got a similar mindset. Um, he has different goals than I do, but his, he, he bought way too many and now he's trying to pare them down to get good ones. And so I think that that is a good mindset to have. Um, I just tried to keep that in mind. Like this is where he's trying to get to. So I should start there trying to get there before I even buy a hundred, I should be trying to focus on the good ones um, instead of trying to sell them off. Cause that's a whole other job. I like I love that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really powerful, especially with today's economy where no one really has any idea where it's going. That's a very <laughs> smart play. It depends on when you pull up market watch as to where it's going, right? One one thing it'll say that Dow's at an all time high, and the next thing it'll be recessions coming. So, and the, it's, always, uh, it's always Trump's fault. Yeah, news. Time. Yeah, news never uh, has never seen an apocalypse it didn't like. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. well but, said. I, mean, I meant I meant I meant both ways. Like it's like, yeah. oh, the market went up. This side of the world says, oh yeah, Trump. And the market goes down. This side of the world says, oh no. It's like it doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> they're all they all. <laughs> First, pandering. No, first, people they are trying have, to politicize everything. They all have no idea. No, right. Starters. Nobody does. They have, they have no idea. Well, but they they're selling you uh, uh, authority and expertise. Um. Anyways, don't get me started. You get my book. <laughs> Next podcast episode with Alex Felice, tearing down the economy. That's right. <laughs> all right. Watch so. Yeah. Where, uh, where can people get a hold of you? What is that wonderful resource website? Yeah, it's a uh, rethink the rat race.com and we're on all the socials there. You can follow the aforementioned uh, Instagram account there uh, where we post a lot of our travels and stuff like that. We're on Twitter, but that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's where you can find us. That's where we talk about what's happening in our life, where we're going, what we've done. We break down our spending. You can see, since we early retired, we've broken down every single month of income and spending so you can see exactly what's happening and where it's going, um, which I think is really helpful for people um, to see that it actually works because my wife wasn't really on board until she, we actually met people that were early retired. And then she was like, okay, maybe it's not, maybe it's not like a pipe dream that you've found on some niche of the internet where you know, people talk shit about everything. So, um, so that actually made her believe it. And so I think that that might be helpful for people. I... Yeah, getting around like-minded people. I mean, we talk all the time about networking and your network's your net worth, but the reality is sometimes just getting around people who think the same is like, oh, hey, this feels good. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's like a self-help book. Alex loves self-help books. So we'll just leave the episode right there. And no, <laughs> no, but it, it, getting around people who are on the same journey, like even if they're not pulling you up as a network, like it's just good to know people that are going the same way there's too much negative crap in the world that people focus on yeah like we met at fencon and so i think just getting around like-minded people like my wife next year she she didn't even buy a ticket but she's going just because like we want to hang out with people um like that was our favorite part about it the you know the conference and all that stuff was cool but like just sitting around and talking with people and being able to talk about anything you want and knowing that they comprehend what you're talking about you can't do that in other social circles. I could never do that in Huntsville, Alabama and talk about a Roth ladder or, you know, uh, the 2% rule or anything like that, or 1% rule, whatever it is now. Um, I watched no one... your wife fall down in a bar. So I don't know what she's <laughs> talking about, what you're talking about, Roth IRAs. <laughs> uh, we we might have had a little fair, You watched me do the same. 
Well, oh, uh, no, I walked. Was, I walked to the room, but you watched me wake up way worse than falling. Out. That was a compliment. Think, that was a compliment. That was a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Drunk financial talk is the best financial talk, right? Because that's where all the real good ideas come out. There's going to be a couple courses coming out next year. Just wait and see. <laughs> Drunk. Drunk Finance 101. That's right. How to use your alcohol to fund your lifestyle. <laughs> what alcohol is the cheapest to get you drunk, <laughs> but also to save as much money as possible? That's a that's a whole as blog fish. Ridiculous as that is, I bet you if we made a YouTube video right now on five most affordable or five that cheapest ways, I guarantee you Probably. It, it's a huge <laughs> video right now. Some alcoholic is right now like how to get drunk cheapest. And we're literally joking about some guy who's like going down the tubes and we've yeah yeah it's terrible <laughs> just realized how bad we just got with that <laughs> i should not make that video <laughs> oh my gosh all right hey, james thank you very much and as always my uh well second time co-hosting alex it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.